Did you know that prophecy was more than hearing just saith the Lord? There are so many modes of prophecy and so many operations of prophecy in the Bible. And today, I want to talk to you about after you have received the baptism in the Spirit, hearing the voice of God and being led by the Spirit of God and understanding the language, learning the language of the supernatural. I'm Dr. Michelle Corral. Stay with us. You are going to be so blessed. Don't miss today's program. Let's look at the Word of God to begin with so that we can understand how prophecy works. Prophecy is not just limited to thus saith the Lord. Did you know that prophecy was a very powerful key component to you winning spiritual battles? Let's look and see how prophecy works. First Timothy chapter one, the Bible says, this I charge and I commit to thee, my son Timothy, according to the prophecies that went before thee, that by them you may war a good warfare. Did you see that? That according to the prophecies that went before you, Paul is telling Timothy, that by them, by what is them? We might ask the question. Them or by these, meaning these prophecies, is how Timothy was going to war a good warfare. What does that exactly mean? First of all, beloved saints, we need to look at the word prophecy in the Greek language. The prefix, the prefix of this word is pro, which means to go before. The suffix of this word is phemi, which means to see everything clearly and concise. So that means that prophecy is not just utterance. Utterance is a form of prophecy, but prophecy is seeing, prophecy is knowing, being endowed with the, char the charis that God wants to fill us with, that he has given to us by the Holy Spirit so that we might be able to function with our spiritual ears and with the sensitivity that the Holy Spirit wants to give us. Let's just look at an example of how prophecy goes before us, beloved saints. I want us to look at one of the most powerful examples of how we go to war and how we wage our warfare through prophecy without just saying, thus saith the Lord. The Bible tells us that the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. That means that though Israel was oppressed and under bondage, that the king of the Gentiles from the land of Canaan that the children of Israel had already possessed, that we must understand that for 20 years, he mightily oppressed the children of Israel, but there wasn't actually a war going on. But there was only oppression and the fact that the children of Israel could not live in the territory that God had promised to them, that they had already possessed. 
And so we see that there was terror in the territory. But Deborah, the prophetess, a woman of God, a judge at that time, preempted a strike against the enemy. And she called a war together and called the men of Israel to come and join her to fight and to wage war against Sisera, Sisera and Jabin, the king of the Canaanites, against Israel. Now, I want you to understand Prophetic secrets are hidden in Deborah's war that I believe God is going to cause you to grow in. Number one, the Bible tells us in three different places that she called the war to initially begin in a place called Kadesh. We see it here in Judges chapter four, looking at verse six. In her prophecy, she called 10,000 men and the children of Naphtali, and they were brought to Mount Tabor, which was a place called Kadesh Naphtali. Now, Kadesh is very important. We need to understand that Kadesh in Hebrew means to make holy. It means to set apart. It means a holy, holy thing, or to make it holy. And this is what God wants to teach us. This is a supernatural secret. If we're going to go to war, we have to take some time out to be before God, to sanctify some time, to pray, to get scriptures, to go into battle, and to do consecration. Now, I want you to understand, you can consecrate through prayer, through fasting, through spending time alone with the Lord, but you've got to get a word from God on how he wants you to wage this war. You need a spiritual, supernatural strategy. And so we see Kadesh Naphtali, also known as Kadesh, not the Kadesh near Beersheba in the Negev, but there was also another Kadesh in northern Israel, which was called Kadesh Naphtali. The second supernatural secret that we need to see waging war in Deborah's war is that through prophecy, through the spirit of the Lord, she called and waged this war, but she also gave instruction to the children of Israel. And the Bible says they fought the battle in Tanakh. Let's look at that in Judges chapter five, verse 19, the kings of Canaan came and fought with Israel in a place called Tanakh. Tanakh is a Hebrew word. Tanakh literally means the entire Hebrew Bible. This is a supernatural secret and it is a strategy of war. We fight the battle in Kadesh. Initially, we launch the strike against the enemy through a consecrated life. We uh, initiate the strike against the enemy through our prayer and through our fasting. But secondly, we also see, beloved saints, that that war must take place in Tanakh. Tanakh was a word for the Hebrews for their Bible. That means you and I need to take the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, and we need to wield our weapon, wield weapons of war that, is, that are scriptures, that is a word that God is giving us. This is how we use prophecy in our warfare. This is what Paul was teaching Timothy, that by these, 
these prophecies that they may go before you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. Let's look at the third supernatural secret for waging war in the spirit through prophecy. We see this also, a supernatural secret in the Song of Deborah in Judges chapter 5. She repeats this secret three times. Now I want you to understand, if we actually read it correctly in the text, the Bible tells us in Judges 5 verse 8 that there were no weapons that Israel actually had that they could depend on. This means there was a shortage of weapons. Were there any spears or swords among the 40,000 in Israel? This is showing us the supernatural secret that the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. And one of the greatest weapons of war that was used in Deborah's war was that the people that came to fight the war were willing to lay their lives down unto the death. This is what Deborah says in Judges chapter 5 verse 8. She said, my heart is toward the governors of Israel who were willing to lay their lives down unto the death. And she says, Zebulun and Naphtali were a people who jeoparded their lives unto the death. So that we see also in the Song of Deborah in chapter 5 verse 1, she says, Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel when the people were willing to lay their lives down unto the death three times. This corresponds with what the Bible says in the book of Revelation in the 12th chapter and the 11th verse. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and that they loved not their lives unto the death. During this battle, God wants you to be so dead to yourself. Do not contaminate the anointing by blaming other people. Do not contaminate the anointing by getting angry at someone and blaming another person for this trial. Go through this trial and allow God to hold you up and fight your battle in Kadesh. Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Fight the battle in Tanakh. Use the word of God when you're fighting the battle. Wage your warfare with scripture and lay your life down unto the death. Continue to serve God. Don't default. Do not be a person who is gonna defect from destiny during war. Do not say, I'm a defector. I've got too many things going on in my life. I can't possibly serve the Lord at this time. No, this is the time that by serving God, your service to God becomes a weapon of war against the enemy and he can't stop you. When he knows he can't stop you, he's going to let loose of what he's attacking you with. I'm Dr. Michelle Corral, and now we're going to go live to the service. I'm going to come back and pray for you, and we are going to believe God that today victory is yours. See, some of us, beloved saints, have limited prophecy, which is one of the nine charismatic gifts, only to utterance.
We think that prophecy is only limited to thus saith the Lord. Let me take a survey here tonight. How many of you here tonight thought that prophecy only was thus saith the Lord? Would you raise your hand? If you thought this was the only method of prophecy, would you put your hand up? Come on, let's be honest. How many thought that prophecy only was utterance? How many know prophecy is more than utterance? Would you raise your hand? All right. Prophecy is so much more than utterance. Utterance is just a very small portion of prophecy. Prophecy is seeing. Prophecy is knowing supernaturally. Say it with me. Prophecy is knowing supernaturally. Let's look at how prophecy is knowing supernaturally because remember Paul said to Timothy, according to the prophecies that went before you, that by these you may war a good warfare. So let us see what it means to war a good warfare. First of all, in order to understand what it means to war a good warfare, we're going to look at some supernatural secrets. First of all, say this with me. Warring is by using the weapons that are not of this world. All right. Tonight, we're going to look at Deborah's prophecy. And her prophecy was found in Judges chapter 5. We're going to look at the prophetess Deborah, and we're going to see from the word of God supernatural strategies to spiritual warfare by using the power of the prophetic word. First of all, let's go to Judges chapter 5. And the very first thing that we're going to see is that uh, the first supernatural strategy or the first a supernatural secret of going into spiritual warfare with prophecy is that we must know that prophecy that is our weapon of war and that the weapons of war are not of this world. Say this with me. The weapons of war are not of this world. Let's look at Deborah the prophetess. Deborah the prophetess is going to give us insight as to how the war was won with 900 chariots of iron. You know, the Bible tells us in Judges chapter 4 that if we look at Judges chapter 4, the Bible says, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor. Verse 3, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. Do you realize that nations that had iron had a superior method of warfare, the most powerful method and weapons of war in biblical times were weapons of iron. So this means that he mightily oppressed the children of Israel for 900 years, or excuse me, with 900 chariots for 20 years. 
And this is a strong bondage. And we need to know, dear child of God, that throughout the scripture, the text is teaching us that iron is likened unto bondage. So we must know from the very beginning because Deborah is gonna initiate the war. She's gonna act, activate a preempted strike against the bondage. And that's what prophecy does. Prophecy stirs us up in the spirit that we know we don't have to take this anymore. Somebody ought to say, I need a prophetic word so I know I don't have to take what the enemy has given to me any longer. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, it's not the new normal to be oppressed by the wicked one. And I'm not going to receive it. Come on. I'm not going to receive it. Hallelujah. Now, in Deborah's generation, she was a prophetess that had to speak a word because Israel had accepted bondage as the new normal. Some of us that are here that have been under attack for the, by the enemy and we've allowed that attack to go on. We haven't rolled up our sleeves and gotten militant with the enemy. And so therefore, little by little, our life begins to change and our mindset begins to change. And before you know it, we begin to see warfare and bondage actually and oppression as the new normal. But today, God wants you to know, hallelujah, that oppression is not the new normal. Somebody ought to say, you don't have to take this. Tell your neighbor, you don't have to take this. Let me give you a prophetic revelation from the word of God on how Deborah's war represents fighting the strongest, longest bondage. You see, the Bible says that Paul told Timothy that by prophecy, by these you will wage a good warfare. Do you want to wage a good warfare? Do you want success in your battle spiritually? If you do, then you need to learn how to wage war with prophecy. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. So we see in Leviticus 26, verse 19, that, that bondage or iron is likened unto bondage. The Bible says, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will shake your heaven, or excuse me, I will make your heaven as iron. When God allows the heavens to be, have you ever been in a place that you've sensed uh, your prayers could not break through. Have you ever been in a place spiritually that when you were praying, it was as if your prayers were up against iron? That is a sign you are no longer warring against flesh and blood, but you are warring against principalities and powers. And somebody ought to say amen. 
Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 28 says, they are all grievous revolters walking with slanderers. They are brass and iron, and they are all corruptors. Notice how brass and iron are likened unto spirits. Brass and iron are likened unto bondage. Tonight, God wants to break the brass and the iron off of the attack that you've been under. Somebody ought to say, it's getting ready to break. Hallelujah. Now, the first supernatural secret of waging Deborah's war or going to war with prophecy is that we have to know that the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. Say this with me. The weapons of my warfare are not of this world. All right, let's look at the Song of Deborah in Judges 5. And the Song of Deborah was a prophetic song that Deborah sang after Israel's victory. Woo! Somebody ought to say, Israel's victory because a prophet was directing the war. said Israel's victory because a prophet was directing the war. Are you hearing this? Say this with me. Prophecy is going before me that I might wage a good warfare. First Timothy 118. Touch your neighbor and say, I release to you 1 Timothy 1.18. Come on. I release 1 Timothy 1.18. All right. In the song of Deborah, she is going to release the secrets of how they won the war. An impossible war with men. 900 chariots of iron, and God is going to use a woman to release Israel out of the captivity of Jabin's army. The Bible says, I want you to see, looking at verse 8, one of the secrets, one of the supernatural prophetic secrets that Deborah releases to us in the word of God that instructs us how to fight spirits that are like iron and like brass. Hallelujah. She says, they chose new gods and war was in the gates. Now watch this. Was there a shield or spear seen among the 40,000 of Israel. Deborah is telling us something that the text itself doesn't tell us until the victory is won. Deborah is telling us that Israel went to war with very limited and in some cases, no weapons at all. Was there a spear or a sword among the 40,000 in Israel? You say, come on. 
How could Israel go to war without weapons? Well, let's show you some historical evidence in the scripture, okay? I'll, I want you to go with me to 1 Samuel. It is possible that the enemy can confiscate weapons. Turn to your neighbor and say, he might confiscate in the natural, but he's never gonna confiscate my spiritual weapons of war. Say this with me, I'm gonna win the war with supernatural spiritual weapons of war. First Samuel 13, and we're looking at Verse 19, the Bible says, this is a time when Israel was up against the Philistines. And the Bible says in verse 19, now there was no smith found throughout the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them, what? Swords and spears, isn't that what Deborah said? Didn't Deborah say there are no swords and there are no spears? Didn't she say that? Now we see the Philistines, they confiscated the weapons of war, but guess what else the Bible says? There were no smiths in the land because a smith is someone who works with metal. Smiths form the weapons by putting the weapons to the fire and causing the weapons to become two-edged swords. A sign that we are in trouble is when the enemy confiscates the smiths in the land. The smiths are the teachers of God's prophetic word. I hope somebody is understanding what the spirit of God is saying here tonight are you with me turn to your neighbor and say no one is gonna take the Smith out of my land you see can you imagine the Smiths are taken captive the Smiths are the ones that make the weapons they form the weapons they sharpen the weapons your weapons need to be sharpened by the Holy Ghost Smiths that are teaching the word of God. The Bible says the word of God is sharp like a two-edged sword. Hallelujah. That two-edged sword is truth and the anointing of God's word. Are you hearing this tonight? It separates, it divides the bone from the marrow, the joints from the marrow, rather, the soul from the spirit. Are you hearing this? It's a discerner of the heart and the intentions of the heart. Say this with me, Lord, if I've allowed the enemy to take out the smiths out of my land, bring them back. Bring them back. Bring them back to sharpen the weapons of war. Watch what happened here in 1 Samuel chapter 13, looking at verse 19. Now there was no smith found throughout the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords and spears. 
But all of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share, his coulter, his axe, and mattocks. In other words, the Philistines would never imagine that they would use such primitive instruments for war. They're using forks. They're using axes. They're using whatever they can. Turn to your neighbor and say, the weapons of my warfare are not of this world, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Somebody ought to say amen. So how does prophecy become a weapon that's not of this world? Go with me to 2 Kings, if you will. 2 Kings, turn to your neighbor and say, Elisha the prophet is going to show me how prophecy goes before me, and by it, I will wage a good warfare. Now, beloved saints, in the art of war, did you know that in the art of war, the most powerful weapon in the art of war is to not use a weapon. The most powerful weapon in the art of war is to know your enemy. And when you know your enemy, you have already won the victory without using a weapon. Why? because you know where the enemy's hiding, and you know through intelligence what the enemy is waging against you. Notice in 2 Kings chapter 6, the Bible tells us in the eighth verse, and the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, in such and such a place is going to be my camp. He took counsel with his servants. This means this is not something he announced to the entire uh, country of Syria. This is something that only his very elite counselors and very elite officers in the army knew. This is where my camp is going to be. And the Bible tells us, look at verse 9. And the man of God, referring to Elisha, oftentimes Elisha is referred to as the man of God. The Bible says, and the man of God sent to the king of Israel and said, beware that you pass not down by such a place, for the Syrians are come down there. And do you realize, saints, that every time the Syrians were planning an attack against Israel, that Elisha would send a message to the king of Israel saying, beware. And you know what the Bible says? that the king of Syria was so frustrated that he said to his people, which one of you is for the king of Israel? He thought there was a spy because every time he set a trap, the trap was ambushed by Elisha. Turn to your neighbor and say, tonight I receive
receive the anointing to ambush the enemy with prophecy by seeing in the spirit what the enemy is doing. Are you with me? Say this with me. I want to know ahead of time what the enemy is planning. Come on, somebody. You ought to give God the praise and give God the glory. Hallelujah. You see, the Bible tells us this is an operation of one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit called word of knowledge. Word of knowledge is a property of prophecy. This means that word of knowledge must be fueled by the fire of prophecy. Word of knowledge is not pure prophecy because it involves discerning. It involves reasoning. It involves when the Holy Spirit takes possession of the vessel, he shows the vessel details. Oftentimes, it has to do with address such as, and certainly, please don't misunderstand me. We don't call out somebody's address in a service to show that we're anointed. We don't do that. Hello? I said, we don't use the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must use the vessel. And he does not have to show his power by trying to demonstrate that he knows somebody's address. But yet to Ananias, it was necessary to give the exact location of Saul of Tarsus. Turn to your neighbor and say, when it's necessary, I need to know divine direction. Hallelujah. I need to know which way to go. I need to know which way the Holy Ghost wants me to go. Say this with me, word of knowledge. Let me give you a little example. Many years ago, Dad Hagen, who is in heaven now and has been in heaven since 2003, was telling a story, and it was a story about, in his early pioneer years, how he had taken on a church, and he had been the pastor of a church for about maybe a few years, and he left the church. He had to leave the church because God was calling him to the field. God was calling him to the work of evangelism. So he left the church in order to fulfill the will of God. And later, they called him back and said, please, we need you, Dad Hagen. So he came back. And in the process of time, one of the church member families, they had a lot of families, but one of the families, rather, in the church had a daughter. And she had gotten involved with the wrong people. And as a result, now this was way back in the 50s, she got involved with someone that was involved in a gang. And they thought she was dead. And when Dad Hagen came back, the, he learned of this and he found out 
that the whole city thought she was dead. They'd gone out to the lake. They thought they drowned her. They'd gone out to the lake and they fished for her and tried to find her and could not find her. Until Dad Hagen came back and the ladies of the church, about six of them, powerful women of God who knew how to move in the spirit. And they asked Dad Hagen for permission. They said, we somehow feel down inside of us that she's not really dead. Can we have a permission to have a prayer meeting to ask the Lord if she's dead or not? And he said, all right, I'm going to give you permission to do so. And, and so when he did that, the deacons had a fit. The deacons came to Dad Hagen and they said, how could you allow these women to be all riled up and to have a meeting? Everybody knows she's dead. And he said, I didn't know she was dead and I don't have the evidence that she's dead because there's no death certificate. And he said, if by chance she's alive and if by chance these women find out that she's alive, then everyone's gonna know that this church is filled with deacons that cannot discern the move of the spirit. So he gave them permission, this three, these few ladies, to seek God and to see is she alive and they got the witness she was and they asked Dad Hagen, look, we, we feel like the spirit of God is showing us she's alive. Can we continue to have a prayer meeting? And they did. One woman in tongues spoke a message in that little gathering. Another woman interpreted and said she's alive. She had a vision of this girl in a bedroom like locked up. Then another one felt by the spirit since she's alive that they asked the Lord if she's alive let her parents who haven't heard from her in 20 years, within 30 days, get a message that she's alive. Well, everybody in the church was in an uproar. Dad Hagen, who walked in the spirit and believed the Holy Ghost. Are you hearing this? I said, the Bible says, despise not prophesyings, quench not the spirit. Are you hearing me, saints? So these ladies saw this in the spirit, and one day, 30 days later, the dad had gone to the post office. It was exactly 30 days. And he picked up a letter, and he didn't even read it. He put it in his pocket. He was not aware fully that they had thrown a fleece out to the Lord saying, Lord, if she is alive, and what we have seen is true. Let us hear from her in 30 days. They were at the dinner table, this little family that lost their daughter. And he said, oh, 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 I forgot. Mom, here is, you know, he called his wife mother. Mother, here is a letter that I picked up today at the post office. She opened it. It was from her daughter. Her daughter said, I'm coming home in a few weeks. She came back to the church. She gave her heart to the Lord. She had been in bondage, got involved in the wrong crowd. Are you hearing this, saints? 
Thank you for joining us today. Like Paul told Timothy, he said, I charge you according to the prophecies that went before you, that by these you may wage a good warfare. Beloved, today I pray that you would be so filled with the Holy Spirit that the anointing of knowing God's voice, just like Elijah said, there is a sound of the coming of rain. He heard rain before it happened. You know, beloved, prophecy is not just saying, thus saith the Lord. Prophecy is seeing. Prophecy is knowing. Prophecy is also hearing the voice of God. Paul said that you be filled with the spirit of revelation and knowledge in him. Today, beloved, I pray that you become so anointed. I pray that the prophetic mantle come on your life, that you would know how to wage your war and not beat the air or enter into the war that, that is before you carnally or through a railing for railing or gossip for gossip. Just use no weapons of the flesh. Let the weapons of your warfare be not carnal. And today, they can be mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Today, you can use love as your weapon of war. Use forgiveness. Die to yourself in needing to be right all the time or having the last word. Let the Lord bless you double for your shame. Let the Lord win this battle for you. Just comply with the Spirit of God. Today, I want to give you an opportunity. If you have never met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you might have gone to church your whole life. You might have been a person born in a good family or even a family that went to church and you, you say, I went to church all my life. I've done good. I'm a good person. But you know, beloved, being a good person does not get us into heaven. We must be born again, not of flesh and blood, but to be born of the Spirit. Did you know that you can become so born of the Spirit that receiving Jesus into your heart as the Lord of your life, you can experience right now a complete conversion? No, it's not turning over a new leaf. Some of you may be saying, well, the new year is upon us and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and then I'll go to church. No, it's not about turning over a new leaf. It's not about using your willpower. It's not even about being a good church goer. It is about relationship. It is about receiving Jesus in your heart as your savior. He wants to be your best friend. You can receive him right now. He will be the closest friend you have. He will never leave you or forsake you. He wants to be with you throughout the rest of your life and guide you into your perfect destiny. Say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. I receive you now as my personal Lord and Savior. Wash me clean right now. I want you to come in, forgive my sins, and I'll serve you forever. 
If you have said that prayer, there are prayer counselors standing by. You can call the number on your screen. And beloved saints, today I want to invite you to become a Hesed partner with us and to visit our website. You can go to Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or visit our website at breathofthespirit.org. That's breathofthespirit.org. We love you and we'll see you very soon.